Welcome to Waste Away, the intermittent fasting podcast. If you want to learn how to lose weight for life through intermittent fasting, burn fat, heal your thyroid and autoimmune issues, and break the bondage of food, then this podcast is for you. I'm Chantel Ray, author of Waste Away, the Chantel Ray Way, and each week I have different guests answering your questions. If you haven't had a chance to pick up your copy of Waste Away, visit ChantelRayWay.com slash podcast and you'll automatically get 20% off the book, audiobook, recipe book, coaching, and Inner Circle Facebook group. Remember, the thoughts and opinions in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Hey guys, Aaron here. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you that you can find our full podcast episodes on our YouTube channel. Not only do you get to see Chantel and our guests, but you also get to see any charts, graphs, or pictures that we may mention. Search Chantel Ray Way on YouTube or click the link in the show notes. And if you would like daily accountability as well as a resource with lots of helpful tips about Chantel's intermittent fasting lifestyle, head on over to ChantelRayWay.com slash coaching. As always, enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode, and today I'm so excited. We have James Laval, and he has spent 40 years of his life passionately teaching all these natural therapies. He's written 20 books, he's taught in medical and pharmacy school, and just has done an amazing job, and we are so excited because today we're just talking about helping healing the body naturally which I know so many of you are passionate about as well. And we're just so honored to have you on today's show. Welcome. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, I just did a broad overview of everything you've done in the last 40 years, but I want you to talk specifically about one of your books, Cracking the Metabolic Code. And you talk about things like cancer, diabetes, depression. um, And I'd like you to talk about that for just a second. Sure. I mean, I wrote the the Cracking the Metabolic Code because for years, I mean, I would have hundreds of people a week coming into our facility and and we always did personalized care. So I would be explaining, well, what are the big things that cause you to have these metabolic roadblocks that make you feel tired midday, you're gaining weight, you're having trouble sleeping, maybe you're feeling bloated, digestive problems. There's, There's all these issues that kind of create, well, why do I feel the way I feel? And I think a lot of times people are disconnected and don't feel empowered as to what actual steps can I take to correct my chemistry. So I I mean, I really wrote Cracking the Metabolic Code as a way for people to uncover, well, what's going right in my body? What's going wrong in my body? What do I do to correct it? Um, And then really start to look at things so that people understand nothing happens alone or is isolated. That the chemistry of your body is this network of communication. And that network can take you down that path of feeling energized, vital, maintaining your weight, um, not having inflammation, less pain, better sleep, less anxious, or it can take you in another direction. Well, you know, I, I would say what we are getting a lot of questions on lately is thyroid where you know it seems like almost every person you know we're getting more and more questions about thyroid we're getting more questions about people saying you know their doctor let's just say let's say the the normal thyroid range let's just say is between one and 4.5 okay 
Right. Um, right. And then people are saying, you know, they're going to the doctor and they're they're landing on that 4.5, 5.5 range. And they're going to the doctor and some of them are revising that they should take meds. Some are saying, no, you're still in the normal range. Um, and what, what is your opinion on, you know, like the Synthroids or Armour Thyroid and so forth? Well, I mean, I, I think first of all, you have to understand well, why is my thyroid off? I mean, most of the time your thyroid will be off for, for a few reasons. One is you don't have enough iodine or you don't have enough of an amino acid called tyrosine. You can't make enough thyroid hormone. So if your diet isn't good and you're not getting enough nutrients that your body needs to make thyroid hormone, well, your, th your thyroid stimulating hormone will probably go so, up. So what would be foods that you would recommend that would increase your iodine intake? Well, things like fish. You can use iodized salt. Um, greens can be really good. So, you know, kelp and those kind of things can be good. So, you know, the big, and the, so that's one piece. And then the other piece is if you're under chronic stress, if your cortisol is elevated, so if you're stressed out, um, cortisol will It's kind of like right now, who isn't stressed out? Well, that's, but that's why you're getting so many calls on thyroid, right? Yes, everybody's yes. jacked up. It's like everybody's worried about the next thing that's going to get posted on their Facebook. Um, yeah. In addition to 200 emails, in addition to traffic. Um, and so when you get under stress, it slows your thyroid hormone down. And then the third would be um, probably the one I would think of next is environmental burden. So, you know, we know now you're, hear you're hearing all this stuff about glyphosates and, and pesticides being a problem for the gut, but really one of the biggest areas that pesticides affect, and it's been published in journals for a long time, is thyroid. And so for, for me, if you even look at the American Society of Endocrinology, so you even look at the most conservative group that's out there, they say anything over a TSH of 2.5 probably needs treated. Um, and, and, you know, so this is what happens all the time. People, they have dry skin, they're losing their eyebrows, they, they feel sluggish, they're gaining weight, they're getting depressed. Uh, their bowels, they're, you're getting constipated and they're going, holy crap, I, I literally feel, I just, I just looked it up and I have low thyroid. But then they go to their doc and the, and the doc goes, eh, you're, you're close. Wait till you're really out of bounds and then we'll medicate you. And I think that one of the biggest things that, that people need to understand is that, you know, medicine's an art, not a science. It really is art. And so, you know, on thyroid hormones, um, yes, I, I like Armour Thyroid if you don't have antibodies to thyroid, meaning if your immune system isn't attacking your thyroid, then using something like Armour or Nature Thyroid makes a lot of sense. I like those. Once you have antibodies and your body's attacking thyroid tissue, I don't think you should put thyroid tissue in your body. And that's what Armour Thyroid and Nature Thyroid is. I would use something like Synthroid or do what we would do at our institutes and what we teach because I you know, co-chair at the uh, American Academy of NIH Medicine, so we teach thousands of docs a year, um, is that you would use T4 and T3. You would use something like Synthroid, but then you would use uh, T3, which is the most active form of thyroid. Well, Synthroid, but Synthroid just has T4. 
Right. That's why you'd have to. Synthroid just has T4. You're when you talk about armor, armor and nature thyroid have both. That's correct. But if you are, but the problem with that is, is that if you have antibodies to your thyroid, meaning that you have autoimmune thyroiditis you're taking a gland extract that your immune system is going to attack when it gets to your gut. So when I'm talking about giving Synthroid or Levothyroxine, you would additionally add triiodothreonine or Cytomel. So you would, you would blend the two of those while you're teaching somebody an elimination diet. So you gotta get them off of the big food allergens. You have to heal their gut. And then you, you may be able to get back to using Armour. I like Armour. I think Armour and Natrothroid are awesome. But when people have an immune reaction and they can't take that, I need to heal their body and then get them to be able to get back to taking Natrothroid or, or, or Armour. Okay. So I want you to say that one more time because I think that's really important. So, so talk, about, talk about that. So you're saying your choice is you can either take Synthroid that's just T4 and combine it with something like Cytomel, which is just T3, and you kind of are making almost like your own combination of an armor or a, a nature throid, which, which around here, which is crazy. I've heard tons of people around here. They can't even get nature throid around here because it's prescribed so much that there's only one pharmacy in town that can get it. It's it, That's how many people are on it right now. I know. So, so once again, uh, first of all, I know a lot of people that get on thyroid and it doesn't help them a lot. Mm-mm. And because they're not fixing the problem, like why I wrote the metabolic code, uh-huh. which may look like you have a thyroid problem, but what could really be your problem is that you have food intolerances and your gut's leaky, and that's causing your immune system to react and cause your thyroid to slow down. So the point being is, um, A, I, I like it when people use natural options. And depending on where your numbers are, you could start with some tyrosine and some iodine and, and you know, chromium's really important. Um, mm. or, or you could decide, well, I want to try armor thyroid or nature thyroid. If you do your lab tests and you're found to have antibodies to your thyroid, then it really is better if you did a T4, T3 combination, kind of mimicking what you get from armor but you don't have the animal gland, the thyroid gland in it, that your body is starting to, you know, teach the immune system to, 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 to attack. So that's the whole reason that you, you know, you kind of look at all the options and go, ah, all right, which one's right for me? And hopefully you find someone who's, you know, sharp that can help you make those decisions and put you on a program that's going to really help you repair your thyroid. Um, so, I want to ask you a question. Um, so I went to a cottonseed plant, which was very interesting for me. I don't know if you've ever been to one. And so, yeah, so we have one here locally uh, in Hampton Roads. And what happens is, is that, you know, we literally went to the plant. I mean, th- this is the plant that sells like Fruit of the Loom, their cotton. And they sell, you know, I mean, these huge wow. brands, right? And wow. so I was looking at it, and and so when he was talking, he was like, okay, now 
This is the cotton seed, and they separate the cotton seed. Then here's the cotton, and then they have all this other stuff that they take, and they combine it and kind of mix it up, and that's what they're feeding. They, they're, they're selling that to farmers to sell to, you know, for, for food. Like instead of eating grass, they're eating this cotton seed stuff, right? Like it's a combination of all this stuff that has like, and, and when I started looking it up, I saw that, you know, feeding that has glyphosate, which that it could be toxic. What do you, do you know anything about that? I, I wanted to do some more research on it. And what do you know? Do you know anything about that topic? Well, I mean, look, yeah, I mean, I do. I mean, not specifically cottonseed being fed to cattle, but, but that without a doubt, um, animals that are fed and are fed in a non-organic way alone, when you know changes their immune profile, uh, it, it changes their, their, their gut microbiome, and that means it's going to change everything about that animal. Uh, so, so I think in general, uh, when you look at feed and our farming and, and, and look at what we're spraying on plants, all of the things that, that we do to our animals and plants end up accumulating in us. You know, I mean, unless you want to become a breatharian and, and, you know, go somewhere where the air's clean, which I think is pretty hard. So yeah. I don't even know if you can be a breatharian nowadays. But if, but if you, um, I mean, I'm a big advocate for, for wild-caught, grass-fed. If I use gland extracts in our practice, I get them from New Zealand. So I get New Zealand um, extracts because they only grass-feed all organic cattle that they, that they make their gland extracts from. So I think it's a really important um, aspect to trying to maintain your health, especially thyroid-related health. Uh, because there's plenty in the journals of environmental medicine, there is all kinds of evidence that pesticides cause thyroid volume enlargement and cause problems, you know, with your, your chemistry because of it. So, um, yeah. and I've been, you know, I've been measuring toxins in people for 35 years and helping them get them out of their body. So I don't want to put them back in their body by eating foods that are tainted. Yeah. Now I've heard about some fasting and how you recommend eating a certain schedule and at least a couple days a week doing a longer fast. So what's your personal fasting schedule and what do you say to people who ask, what is the ideal fasting schedule for healing their body? Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, I basically operate uh, three or four days a week. I go noon to seven in my eating window. Uh, and then the other three or four days a week, I include something at breakfast. A lot of it has to do if I'm just really hungry uh, and, uh, and I'm working out because I work out a fair amount. And uh, so a lot of it has to do with feeling that cycle out. But I mean, I think the first thing about fasting, I think it's important to understand is I think people think that they have to eat every few hours to keep their metabolism up. And honestly, people ate about 1.5 meals a day in 1900. And they were, people were working manual labor. They were working on farms for 12, 14 hour days. We, it, the, the problem when your blood sugars are dropping all the time is probably once again, fix the problem of your blood sugar. Don't put a bandaid on a bullet hole by eating every couple hours. So, you know, I've talked a lot about the, um, uh, there's a program that was developed out of the Keck Center for Medicine here at the University of Southern California called Prolon. 
And that's an interesting diet because it's a five-day fasting mimic diet. So what's yeah. actually going on is you're, you're getting the effect of fasting by eating these specific foods at a specific time. And those effects of fasting are profound. One is that it helps eat up waste proteins in your body. So it decreases inflammation signaling. It helps with restoring what I call more normal metabolism. So when I have people that have trouble losing weight, I use this five-day program and then I follow with time-restricted eating. I also get them to eat uh, low allergen during that time. And then we figure out what the right mix for their macros are, you know, carbs, fats, and protein as we're moving through their process so that they can really start to understand what they need. Um, but what I really love about the other piece about, you know, that proton is that it also induces stem cells. So you get cell renewal. So if you have the chops for it and can do it in a supervised way to do a five-day fast, a water fast, you can accomplish those same things. The problem is in today's world, I think it's very difficult for people to stop everything they're doing for five days and do a water fast. Mm -hmm. um, I think it needs to be supervised. I think there's a lot of complications to it. People, more people are fragile. Um, what I like about this is, is that I can do it for five days. I get the same effect. People aren't quite as far off. And then, um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different ways to attack that fasting uh, you know, message. I personally think a consistent way of eating, doing time-restricted eating, incorporating, I mean, a real evolution has taken place. There's a bar that just came out in the market uh, called a fast bar. It's basically a real high-fat bar that mimics the effect of fasting. So if you want to eat something light for breakfast, you could eat a bar. Uh, and then you can go to, you know, I'm a big fan of eating vegetables. I want people eating lots of vegetables. Um, quality lean proteins, you know, make sure they're getting things like legumes. Uh, because, you know, in general, you know, when people ask me about fasting a lot of times, I just say, look, what I have found over close to 40 years and, and really designing weight loss programs for about a half a million lives, um, people eat too much, <laughs> they eat too often, they eat the wrong foods, they eat too late at night, they, they don't exercise, and they and and at the same time they don't sleep enough, and so when you start, when you start there, you can start having an honest discussion with someone about all right. Here's the effect of stress on your chemistry. Here's the effect of thyroid on your chemistry. Here's the effect of environmental burden of your genetics. Maybe what drug therapies you're on. There's a lot of things that go into molding what your health is. But those things I just mentioned, too much, too often, not the right stuff, <laughs> not right. Yeah, it's so true. Well, let's talk about blood sugar for just a second. We've been getting a few questions lately about metformin. Um, there's a lot of people who are, uh, that they are saying that their doctor is, they're borderline, they're not quite in the diabetic range, but they're in that pre-diabetic stage. And so they're suggesting that they take metformin. What is your thoughts on that? Oh, well, you know, first of all, when people are pre-diabetic, 38% of the U.S. population is pre-diabetic right now. So it's very common. Um, I really want people to try to change their lifestyle before they result to a drug. So I'm, I'm bullish on not eating as much, choosing the right things, not eating as late, getting And reducing sleep. that sugar. 
reducing that sugar. A lot of sugar, a lot of carbs. They get stressed out and you're, look, the bag of potato chips becomes your friend. You know, you you lick your finger and you go into the bottom of it to get the last milk to get that craving done. Or, you know, you want to rub that last cookie that's in that row of cookies you just ate right on top of your head. You don't even want to eat it. You know, it's just cooling your head off. So, So the point is, um, with diabetes resort that's the last resort it, it, it's a great drug it's an awesome drug I really encourage people to look get out and walk 30 to 45 minutes five or six days a week and walk don't dawdle move you know get try to get that down I like people eating lower carbohydrate you know learn how to eat lower carb learn how to watch that sugar learn how to watch People don't even count their carbohydrates. I think it's so important that people learn how to count their carbs for their level of activity. And I think that what they'll be able to do is they can get that blood sugar to come down. Now, keep in mind, low magnesium status is the number one nutrient deficiency associated with the development of prediabetes and diabetes. And if you're not eating nine servings of vegetables and fruits a day minimum, you're probably not going to be getting enough magnesium. You need a lot of greens. So, you know, magnesium helps, chromium helps, zinc helps. Obviously, there's herbs that can help. But, you know, get those trace minerals in, especially magnesium, along with what we talked about, and it'll be a great step forward. And if you do go down metformin, you have to take coenzyme Q10, and you have to get your B12 levels checked because it depletes B12 and can cause neuropathy or numbness and tingling in your hands and feet. Hey guys, we absolutely love getting your questions into the podcast, but we're also interested in your journey. So if you've started intermittent fasting and have some success or even struggling a little bit, we want to hear about it. Email me your intermittent fasting stories to Chantel at ChantelRayWay.com. Now back to the show. Angela in Northern Virginia. I recently had some blood work done to see why I wasn't feeling normal. And my doctor told me that my blood work showed some hepatitis B. She said that the hepatitis B is not currently active currently, but that it was in my system at one point. And I'm trying to figure out what caused this. How recent would I have had to have had it in order for it to appear in my blood work? And what are some of the most common foods that cause it? Could this be part of the reason I don't feel like my liver is functioning correctly, even though it apparently is no longer active? Well, I mean, if it's not active at all, I doubt that it's having a big impact on their liver. So when people complain of fatigue, and I don't, I don't, I haven't seen, I don't, haven't seen Angela's lab, so I don't really understand, but but there could be a lot of things, but um, a lot of times they're deficient in B12. A lot of times they're deficient in other B vitamins like folic acid and B6, and that can cause fatigue. Um, if, if their hepatitis B is showing absolutely no activity, it was just a you know an, an antibody that showed up in her blood, but there's nothing going on. Not a lot of alarm or concern at this point. And so, how uh, does someone get? What are some of the causes for hepatitis B? I mean, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, people. Um, you know, that's why people get hepatitis shots at birth, right? It can, it can be because of their sexual preferences. Um, it could be because of uh, drug use. Um, it could be that you potentially picked it up. Um, maybe there's a blood transfusion. There could be any, you know, there could be, uh, it could be a contamination event that occurs. 
but the most common things are is that okay what what's your sexual orientation maybe what you're doing that way um you know, drug use is a possibility uh those those, those are the biggies Okay, it's Patty in Greenville. I've always considered myself a hot-natured person, even if everyone else around me is comfortable. I'm usually hot and clammy. One of my best friends is the complete opposite. She's always cold. Is this just the way we're wired, or could this be something deeper? We're both in our 30s to our knowledge, and we don't have major health issues. Should we look into this? Well, I mean, hot feeling warm if your body temperature is normal that means your metabolism is probably just fine if your fingers are cold and your hand and your feet are cold um, a lot of women can have something called raynodes where they get under some kind of cold temperature stress like they walk into an air-conditioned room and their hands and feet automatically go cold if people are really cold there's a couple things that usually um, relate to that one is um, low thyroid that we talked about earlier. So you know, low body temperature, low thyroid. Um, you could be insulin resistant and your body temperature be low. Um, if your body temperature was abnormally high, you think of chronic low grade infection, but I think what she's saying is, hey, I feel pretty good. I'm just always warm. I don't have an issue. My friend's always cold. And being all cold all the time, insulin resistance, low thyroid, um, high stress hormones, those are the most common reasons. Okay, perfect. Um, this is from Rosario. I have two questions. I'm relatively new to fasting and I'm breaking out with a rash and I did some research. Supposedly it's because of the less income of caloric, caloric intake. Please tell me if this is temporary or there are steps I'll need to take. I decided to just take a break for a few days. This rash hurts. Also, when I'm in my fasting window, does a splash of lemon in my water break my fast? Rosario. Yeah, the splash of lemon in your water doesn't break your fast. Um, I typically look at those kind of problems as um, more of a detoxification mechanism. So when you're fasting, you're breaking down fat. That fat contains a lot of toxins. Uh, and so you can trigger some histamine release, which is what, a, you know, what happens with a rash it really doesn't have as much to do with, you know, how many calories. Yeah, that's definitely not true. Um, right. that, that piece of what she said is definitely not true. The, the less amount of calories is not going to cause a rash. That's well, for sure. But usually if you go from fasting to like, Hey, I was eating whatever I wanted and now I fast and you break down fat you're gonna release a fair amount. It's pretty well known that fat, the, fat, the more fat you have, the more toxins you store. It's directly correlated because they're lipid soluble. And so, so I, I personally think you're releasing more histamine from the gut. And in addition to that, you're creating a problem uh, with the release of the fat from, the, you know, from your tissues into your circulation. And I've seen that over the years because the person had poor lymphatic drainage they couldn't get rid of those toxins get them doing maybe a little uh, the little mini tramp stuff move that lymphatic tissue around and, and see if you can prevent that from happening all right this is from brian in alabama my father had type 2 diabetes and i watched him experiment with every medication blood thinners insulin anything that his doctor said would help I am 25 now and pay really close attention to my health and my blood sugar. Everything looks good, but I know it can be hereditary. I don't want to be a slave to medicine like my dad was. 
what are some things I can start doing now that are preventative? If I do become diabetic, what is the best way to treat type two naturally? Well, I gotta tell you, Brian is right on that forward edge of what's going on in America. He's, this is the story. I mean, I talk about this all the time. My father is diabetic. My grandmother was a fingerless, toeless, blind diabetic. All of my aunts and uncles, a very strong Italian family, everyone is diabetic. And so I, I've written a lot on this. Um, first of all, just because your dad was a diabetic, it doesn't mean you will be. The pillars of managing type two diabetes are active lifestyle, you've got to move. You gotta get out, you gotta exercise, you gotta burn that blood sugar up, and, and you've gotta improve the way your insulin receptors are working, that's one. Two is you gotta manage stress. Everybody's got stressful lives today, like you said earlier. Um, learn how to deep breathe, three minutes twice a day. Um, learn how to decompress, it's super important. Get enough sleep. We know for a fact, if you only sleep five hours a night, you're 78% more likely to become obese and your signaling for insulin alters. The next piece is really watch what you're taking in. You mentioned it, watch the sugar intake. Just, you know, just look, you gotta change your lifestyle. Um, I don't look at a cookie and go, wow, I missed that cookie. I look at a food that maybe a, a big salad and go, wow, I get to eat that. Right? I want to change my framework of how I'm eating and how I'm looking at my world. Because type 2 diabetes, for the most part, not 100%, but for the most part, it's a lifestyle disease. Um, yes, it's true. Pesticides can cause it. Yes, it's true. Toxic metals could do it. Um, there's those issues out there. But for the most part, people do it because, once again, they eat too much. They eat too often. They eat the wrong foods. They eat too late. You know, these are all very common things people do. Um, and then how do I treat it naturally? First of all, I think metformin is a really good drug. So your first line of defense of metformin is justified. And I think it's worth it if you understand the risk benefits of it. It's fine. Once you get past that. But, but boy, talk a little bit more. Talk a little bit more because I'm with you. I mean, obviously, I feel like I am so anti-drug. Like, I'm like, do whatever it takes um, to not be on a drug. But I would say the two drugs that I would say... I would feel like are better on the scale of like, you know, there's some others that are so bad, but are like the Armour Thyroid or the Nature Thyroid or Metformin. And I've seen, I've seen people with taking Metformin that just love it, that they've, that's the one drug that they said really lowers their blood sugar and gets things stable. So talk about what the, what the cons are though of Metformin. Well Sure. I mean, I think there's, if you look at metformin, um, it can deplete B12. So you have to have something called methylmalonic acid measured in your body. And when, when you deplete your B12, that means you can be prone towards diabetic neuropathy. And it means you get numbness and tingling in your hands and feet, which is not fun. So, and how you prevent that, you take B12. Um, that's one. Two is in some people, it depletes coenzyme Q10. And if it depletes coenzyme Q10, uh, your muscles are going to ache and, you're, and you will have trouble in terms of exercise and moving around. Your energy will go down. Uh, those are the biggies. And obviously, the biggest one that you're concerned with with metformin is the, the fact that you can get a loose stool. So you can get metformin-induced diarrhea 
which, you know, obviously is a, a big side effect. You don't want to run around with diarrhea, you create dehydration, it's a problem. Uh, there is some evidence that was published recently about a risk maybe for Parkinsonian increased risk um, uh, for, for Parkinson's. So those are the risks. I've, I've seen a lot of people get tremendous benefit from metformin. They lose weight, their blood sugars are better, they create, their food cravings go down and it makes sense. Because when you start to use your insulin the way you're supposed to, you can get glucose into your cell and now your body isn't starving for fuel. So I like that drug, um, but at the same time, get your chromium levels up. So nutrients, chromium, mag, zinc, I already mentioned that, you gotta get it in. And most people don't take enough magnesium. They should, they should dose it by their body weight. So at a minimum of seven and a half milligrams per kilogram of elemental magnesium, that means if you buy a bottle of magnesium, that capsule, 80% of that capsule is basically the binder to the magnesium, and the other 20 is the magnesium. You need to measure the amount of magnesium that you're taking. And, and so that's really important. And then there's some interesting herbs. Bitter melon is very good. Um, then you agree. Say that last one that you said again. Bitter melon, B-I-T-T-E-R, melon. Uh, bitter melon, standardized extract of bitter melon, really good for blood sugar. Alpha-lipoic acid's a biggie. I mean, ALA really helps your insulin receptor to open up. You know, it's not about, what people get messed up uh, is that it's not about how much hormone you have in your body. It's about how well your receptors are opening up to catch the hormone. You need the receptors to function. And so I like alpha-lipoic acid because it enhances both thyroid receptors and insulin receptors to open up and catch the thyroid or insulin, the two hormones that you've got floating around in your body that are incredibly important. Gotcha. Okay. It says, I've been doing intermittent fasting for about three to four months and have been doing, this is from Anonymous. They didn't give us a name or anything. Okay. And, and have been doing great, trying to eat clean while allowing myself the occasional splurge so I don't feel deprived. However, the past few weeks have been so hard for me. I always get stressed around Christmas time and some people starve themselves when they're stressed, but I tend to overeat. I don't want to spend my entire December like this and carry it into winter, which is always a blue time for me. Do you have any advice? Uh, sure. First of all, um, whoever wrote in, Anonymous, uh, she's like, or he is like everybody else out there. Most people eat more when they get stressed. Only when it's a really big crisis do you find people, you know, that's right. When it's everyday stress, it's like, where is the cookie jar? Where's the pasta? Where's the pizza? In fact, I'm going to pour chocolate on my pizza. Uh, right? You know what I mean? It's, it's like, you know, get out of my way. I have to. So uh, I've only done this for 40 years talking to people. That's why. I mean, these stories are real. You know what I mean? So here's some strategies. One is she should get her vitamin E or he. I'm, it sounds like a she. Uh, but it may be a he. They should get their vitamin D levels checked, especially if they're blue during the winter months. Uh, if you're in a colder climate and your vitamin D levels are plummeting, it's going to make you have more risk for seasonal affective disorder and you're going to be blue. 
In addition to that, I love the intermittent fasting and I love the fact that she was, or he was treating themselves a little bit here and there just because they, they wanted to be able to stay with their, their, their regimen. I like that. I mean, I like having a, a, a treat every once in a while. There's nothing wrong with that. People ate treats in the 1940s and everybody wasn't obese back then. I mean, the problem is today, there's a lot it's more. It's portion size. It's yes, it is. Size. Yeah, and, and the last one would be is they could use something like Relora, R-E-L-O-R-A. That's a magnolia and philodendron extract that actually works very well to reduce stress-related craving behaviors. And they actually have an FTC claim on that site or on that ingredient for stress-related cravings. So that's a really good ingredient. You typically take 250 milligrams three times a day during, I tell people during this time of year, it'll just keep you from stress eating. You'll feel less stressed. You won't crave carbs. Everything's good. Well, the, the next question actually just relates to what you just said, but it's Dawn in Oregon. She said, my blood work came back showing I was very low in vitamin D. Um, and I wasn't surprised considering this is called the sunshine vitamin and it's cold in December. I never thought of vitamin D as being super important or talked about it. What are some of the functions that are affected by it? And since it's not realistic for me to lay in the sun, what are the best sources for me to increase my vitamin D levels naturally? Do you recommend tanning beds or red light therapy? I, I, I love, uh, I mean, I love red light therapy. I worry about tanning. I mean, you know, there's just too much bad news on tanning. Um, there is some interesting sunblocks out now that actually filter the vitamin D, but she's in Oregon, a lot of rain, a lot of overcast, probably running pretty marginal D levels all the time. You know, I've just found with people in general, they need to take a vitamin D supplement to get their vitamin D up and why it's important. Uh, vitamin D is needed to make your insulin receptors work. Vitamin D is needed for mood. It's intimately involved in, you know, keeping your mood up. Probably one of the most important nutrients for keeping the gut lining intact. So when we talk about leaky gut or gut permeability problems, when you have low vitamin D, you're going to have more gut permeability problems and gut permeability problems equals food sensitivities, food intolerances, which means I'm gonna be chronically inflamed. I'm gonna gain weight, I'm gonna ache, I'm not gonna think clear. I always tell people, you're probably gonna feel like you're gonna be pushing a thought through jello, right? You know, you, I talk to a lot of folks and that's what they're like, oh my God, how did you know that? That's exactly how I feel. Well, you know, when, as soon as you get inflamed, your, your brain gets neurally inflamed and now, all those connections slow down. Um, so vitamin D is important from the nervous system, inflammation, joints, blood sugar, immune function, 4,000 reactions in your body are dependent on adequate vitamin D. Mm, wow. Well, this has been such a pleasure talking with you and super, super fun. Now, if people want to find out more about how to get one of your books or how to reach out to you, where do they go? It's still real simple. Go to jimlavalle.com. Uh, if they want to see what we're doing in the, you know, out there working with doctors, they can go to metaboliccode.com. So we've, yeah, that's our, our cloud-based information system that kind of figures out what, where, you're, where things are wrong in you and what to do about it. 
but all that stuff is covered on the on the on the uh, jimlaval.com site. I'd love to see you are offering something for free. So tell us about it. If you go to our Facebook and comment and share the post, we're giving away one book for free. Tell us about it. Yeah, we're giving we're giving away my my latest book called Your Blood Never Lies, and Your Blood Never Lies talks about how to look at your blood tests for health and identify trends that are off before you get a diagnosis and it tells you what to take, how to eat, what the lab values mean, why it's important it's trending. Uh, it's, it's been a great book. And so, uh, yeah, your blood never lies. Well, if you have a question that you want answered, go to questions at chantelrayway.com. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great day. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. And if you would like daily accountability as well as a resource with lots of helpful tips about Chantel's intermittent fasting lifestyle, head on over to chantelrayway.com slash coaching. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.